0: I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily, and you know I don't interview many people these days because I save that for only the best, and the man who is joining me today is truly one of the best. Uh, you've heard me talk about how I met the great magician Murray Solchuk on this podcast, and you know that he and I are working on a TV show project together, but we're not currently allowed to say much more about that. What I can tell you is that Murray is truly one of the greatest magicians in the world, and he has got the award to prove it. Uh, when you're writing down, The Las Vegas Strip, you will see his face on a huge digital screen outside Planet Hollywood, where he performs regularly. Uh, Murray has performed on TV and live on stage all around the world. Uh, You may have seen him on uh, America's Got Talent. Uh, Many have seen him on shows like History Channel's Pawn Stars, where he serves as the resident magic expert, contributing his wisdom whenever a magical item comes into the shop. Uh, He knows everyone, has a huge following on social media, in fact, uh, over 688,000 subscribers on YouTube alone. And he is obviously one of the most talented people on this planet. Some know him as Murray the Magician. Some call him Murray the Celebrity Magician. His website is com. That's spelled M-U-R-R-A-Y-M-A-G-I-C. com. But he is indeed Murray Solchuk, and it is a true pleasure to say, Murray, welcome to Joshua P. Warren Daily.
1: Thanks, <laughs> Joshua. That was quite... The introduction, I'm like, wow, I want to meet this guy who's done all this stuff. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks for having must, me on your show, buddy.
0: Well, you're very welcome. And you must look back at your life sometimes and say, did I do all that? I mean, you've had one of those lives, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I have. You know, it's funny that you mention that because I, uh, I have my home here, which you've been to a couple times. And, you know, we store stuff in the garage and this and that. And somebody, a buddy of mine was looking for an old trick. And I said, you know, I have that trick for you. I did it a long time ago, but I got to find the tape. And it was on one of my VHS tapes. So I went into my garage, pulled out these old boxes of photo albums, you know, and it's unbelievable. I was going through stuff when I first started Magic when I was just a kid, you know, 12, 13 years old, with these old pictures of me and David Copperfield and everything. I've been looking for those damn pictures for about 20 years now. So I finally found them. So it's been quite the week. But it's funny you mention that because I, I do look back and go, wow. Where did the time go? And it's kind of cool to see where, you know, where everyone's at at this point in their lives, you know?
0: Well, let's focus for a moment on that rare person out there who has never heard of you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you are, and your description of what you do.
1: Uh well, you know, I am originally from Vancouver, Canada. I am Canadian and I'm now an American citizen as well. Um I became that February thirteenth, two thousand and nine. So I'm American Canadian. <laughs> and um and I started out doing magic as a kid when I was seven, eight years old back in, in Vancouver, Canada. And i do birthday parties and, you know, small little corporate events and I had a Yellow Pages ad back in the days, is obviously before the, the internet and uh and I worked my way through. You know, I have a degree in in uh, marketing and also a degree in broadcast communications and, uh, but I I started my first big gigs. I started getting on cruise ships touring the world and all that other stuff and uh, reality TV and all that jazz and, and I ended up here in Vegas but I I started out as a kid magician that's kind of how it all started.
0: So what are your earliest memories of falling in love with magic?
1: Uh, money. Money, Joshua. That was the reason. (laughs) No, uh, well, you know, it's it's funny. I fell in love with Magic because I'm the only child, not by choice. Uh, my parents uh, were older when they had me. My dad was 43 at the time. And they uh, my mom had eight miscarriages. And I was uh, the ninth shot at it. And I was born. I had a twin. And she lost the twin in the first trimester. So I made it. So by the time they tried for 13 years, they're like, oh, my God, we had a kid. Two arms, two legs. That's a win. Not sure about the brain, but, you know, he's standing. <laughs> so, so they stopped at that point. And as an only child, you know, you always love attention and stuff like that. So, you know, I started in the business um, dancing professionally, I Ukrainian dance, because my heritage, uh, my background is uh, half Ukrainian and half Scottish. So I did that, played musical instruments like the accordion and keyboard and saxophone. So I did all that. And then, you know, my birthday's in November, Christmas is in December, obviously. And so my family especially my uncle and aunt always asked what I wanted I never really was one of these kids that wanted much I just wasn't like that and so I'd open up the Sears catalog when there was one and I would look at things in there that I might like just for ideas so I wrote down a bunch of stuff along with a car and a boat and a dog which I never got till later but I ended up uh, writing down a magic kit because they were advertised in uh in the magazine and so my aunt and uncle got one of my first magic kits And that bloomed into what I do now. It's just one of those, it was just another form of attention and something I enjoyed. You know, I watched Copperfield on TV, Dan's the Statue of Liberty, like many of us did. And I thought that's pretty cool because I knew he didn't have a power. I knew it was a skill. And I thought that's pretty cool. So, um, so that's kind of what piqued my interest in getting, getting into the business. And then, of course, you know, I did a kid's birthday party. And my first one, I got paid 10 bucks for 30 minutes of doing something I loved. So going back to that money thing, I was shocked that somebody would actually pay me for doing something that I did for fun for 30 minutes and walk away with 10 bucks. And when you're, you know, 12, 13 years old, that's a lot of money for 30 minutes.
0: You know, I remember the first time I went into a magic shop, and the guy working there showed me the cups and balls routine, uh, which I think some say is one of the oldest magic tricks in history. And, it is. Uh, and, and so I started, you know, that was like my thing for a while. I would perform the cups and balls when I was a kid. What was what was that trick that initially, you know, attracted you? You were like, okay, I can do this really well, and, and transitioned you into what would become this career?
1: Well, it's not far off from what you just said. You know, cups and balls is one of my first tricks. I think the real first trick for me was a buddy of mine, a guy named Martin Dick. His name was. He was he was a uh, like a uh, a magician that did it on the side, but he he fixed car motors and did a bunch of stuff. But he he was a very dear friend of our, our families, and he did a jumping elastic band trick. And I teach it on my YouTube videos, and I've taught it many times in different shows. And you put basically put two elastic bands around two fingers of your hand and you can show it's only two around two fingers and then when you when you um basically open your hand or turn your hand the two the elastic band around the two fingers that it were it's jumped to the other two fingers it's called the jumping elastic band trick i think that was probably one of my first tricks i ever learned and it's cool it's visually stunning and it really works and it's easy to do so you know when you're learning something like you know uh, especially as a child you want those early successes so you don't get deterred from not doing something you might like you know what i mean so it's You know, it's kind of like when you learn the guitar, you're not going to learn a song from Queen, probably. It's probably going to be something more like uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, you know? (laughs) So
0: would you consider whatever your biggest break is, and I want to hear about what that is, would you consider that happening before or after you got on cruise ships?
1: I would say it's probably after. You know, I I consider big breaks are a bunch of small breaks that at the time were big, you know? Um, and then also when you ask fans, they have their moment when your big break was, because when they were first introduced to you, you know. So, I mean, I just started doing cruises when I was 19 years old. And then later down the road, I, I ended up doing America's Got Talent when I was 30. So that's that's quite a gap. It's 11 years of traveling the world and playing resorts in Japan and all over the place um, before that happened. And, and a lot of people consider America's Got Talent a big break for me, because it was in 2010, and that was the peak of that series, they were getting 22 million viewers um, an episode, which was unbelievable. It was only five years in at that point, so it really was the pinnacle for that show. Now they're getting around 8 million, which is still very good, but 22 million is very hard to understand. That's when also the internet was still obviously in in its infancy. Um, I mean, there was Twitter and stuff around, but now, back in the day, we weren't allowed to use Twitter or Instagram when we were on the show, because they really wanted to keep it TV-based. Now when you do the show, if you don't have an Instagram or Twitter, they'll make one up for you so you can use it. And it's to their advantage, of course, advertising the show, and it's also to the act's advantage. So it's interesting how social media has really made a, a different um, game in entertainment and, and being recognized. But I would say America's About Talent was my, my one big break, along with others. So after that, Pawn Stars came along because I was exposed. People could see me. And others, you know, but I mean, on TV, you can go as far back if you're a fan of Comedy Central's Reno 911. That was one of my first big breaks on reality TV on a huge show. But at the time, it wasn't. It was just a pilot, you know, so it wasn't even on the air. And I didn't even understand the humor. I didn't find it funny. I still don't find it funny, but (laughs) they loved it. I did it and now it's become a cold classic, you know, so. (laughs) Well, you You know,
0: know. let's go back for a second to your cruise ship days because I've been on a lot of cruises and I, as a matter of fact, I doubt I'll ever go on another cruise. I'm kind of, I've done so many cruises, I'm kind of sick of it. (laughs) Uh, You, I can't even imagine your experience. What was it like? I mean, like for one thing, how did you apply for that job to be a magician on a cruise line? And then what was that lifestyle like?
1: Well, you know, I did cruises for like 18 years. It was a really a great way for me to jump from a kid's magician, you know, to an adult performer. And the story goes like this. There's an agent in Vancouver, a very dear friend of mine now, but he was, a, he was and still has a big agency in Vancouver 10 called Whitefoot Entertainment, and his name is John Whitefoot. So he, he had a lot of contracts in Vancouver and internationally. Um, and so I'd mail all these agents. He was a big one. Well, all of a sudden, uh, my parents, we had a ranch down in Washington, so my parents would go away for the weekend, and uh, it's only 45 minutes from Vancouver, so it's not a, that far away from the house, but they'd have a cabin there, so they'd go away on the weekends, and at that age, I was 18, 19, and I'd stay home and do my own thing and work. I was a lifeguard at the time, and so all of a sudden, I got a phone call, and the phone call came, I believe, like on a, a Monday, because I think my parents were staying on a long weekend, and it was some John White, English guy, and he says, um, Murray Sawchuck. I said, yeah. I said, well, this is John White calling uh calling. We've seen your tape. We submitted it. And we have a cruise ship offer for you. Now, I almost passed out because I've wanted to do cruise ships all my life. I was so excited about this. And I was 20. And um, I thought, holy smokes, I've been doing kids' birthday parties up until now. I'm a lifeguard as well for extra money and, and all this other stuff. So I was like, wow, it's a great break. So I said, great. I said, What's, uh, what is the situation? He said, well, the pay is $1,100 in American funds a week. And I was thought, holy crow, because at the time, even now, the Canadian dollar is like it was now. I mean eleven hundred dollars American was close to eighteen hundred dollars uh, Canadian a week in seven days. Well I never dreamed of making that much money back then, you know, this is back in the early nineties, um, let alone doing something I love and I said, Okay, I said, well they're gonna give you um they're going to give you a two month contract for eight weeks and I said, All right, I said, can you do two 45-minute shows and a 15-minute show to an adult audience? I went, of course I can. Not a problem. I got lots of that ready. Not a problem. This is great. This is, well, um, just so you know, um, I need you to get an American bank account for your money to be transferred to and commissions to be sent back and forth, and then uh, just so you know, you'll be flying out Friday. I'm like, when? <laughs> He's <said>, like, Friday. <laughs> and this is Monday, and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I thought, uh, sure, no problem, great. Well, I'll fax over the contracts. Remember, the Internet wasn't around then, so it was all fax. And I said, great, fax me them over, sign them, um, and then um, get them back to me, and then um, send me a copy of your passport, and then I'll get you air flight uh, flights and that within the next 24 hours. I'm like, I uh, that's wonderful. I said, that's just lovely. I said, uh, thank you, John. I hung up the phone. And I passed out, and then I did two cartwheels in my backyard. I was so excited. I could not believe <laughs> I'm going to travel. And and the show, and, and then he also included the itinerary, and the itinerary was me flying to Montreal, Canada, and getting a ship from Montreal to New York. And it was a seven-day cruise from Montreal to New York, and then back to New York to Montreal, down the St. Lawrence River. And, um, and so, uh, so I said, great, and I do these, these shows. Well, little did he know. First of all, I had no travel gear. I had no big cases to take my stuff in. I had maybe 15 minutes of adult material in my repertoire. Everything else was kids' material because that's, that was my main bread and butter, you know, kids' birthday parties. There's not, you know, that many adult shows locally, you know, when you're a kid or anytime. So I thought, oh, my goodness. So I started taking all my routines, trying to make them more adult within like three days. I packed every bit of magic I owned, and then I realized there's a very famous magic store in New York called Tannin's Magic. It's been around for years. And I they had a catalog, and they had a catalog. <clears throat> Remember, this is kind of before the Internet. <clears throat> so, I, um, so, I said, um, so I opened the book, and I went through the whole book. And within probably about two hours, I bought an hour of material that I knew I'd have to learn within the next week. And I bought all these tricks that I read about, and I thought, well, these will, these will work. I'll figure this out. And I, so what I did is I knew I had enough material to do the shows from Montreal to New York. So I had a 45-minute show and a 15-minute show. The 15-minute ones usually when you come on the cruise ship for that opening night and stuff for those who don't um, cruise. you know It's just a welcome aboard, hello, everybody, and all the acts come out and do five or ten minutes. And then you do your main show. So I knew I had enough material to get through that, but I didn't have enough different material on the way back. And the reason they wanted different material is because some cruises, some cruisers stayed for two weeks, not just the seven days. So on the way back, they didn't want to see the same show. So I get there, do the show. I get through it, barely, but I got through it. And personally, I think it was crap, but it was enough. The tricks worked. Uh, Everyone seemed happy. And in New York, I had all the magic stuff sent to the port. Uh, and so I had another hour of materials in boxes, and I was praying to God they would get to the port. But I figured since the <laughs> magic shop was in New York City, not a far drive. It's a few, so I sure enough, I had the stuff, and I, uh, I got all the stuff in my cabin, and I swear to God, my show was like three days later on the way back. I must have stayed up till four in the morning every night learning this stuff, and then I had to put music to it and music back then was all on cassette tape. So I was dubbing cassette tapes, finding music off my other, you know, cassette tapes. And, uh, it was really a crappy situation to be honest with you, but I put, put all this show together and I did it. And I uh, got back to Montreal long story longer. A new cruise director came on. She liked what I was doing. She knew it was a big break for me. She said, you know, Murray, usually I change acts when I come on. Once your contract's done, I look for new acts, but I like you. Um, And you're pretty good with the computer. Would you like to be, would you like to extend? And said, I need an assistant cruise director uh, to help me with the programs and that. Would you like to stay on and do both jobs? You'll uh, you'll get a pay raise of like 500 bucks more a week. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I said, of course I would. And long story longer, I ended up extending five more times. I stayed seven and a half months on the cruise ship. I got paid as an assistant cruise director and as a headliner. So that was how I got into the business. And I stayed 18 years touring and traveling and seeing the world.
0: See, that is such a fascinating story, especially to me. I can just imagine all of these moments of, of drama and tension and excitement, and, which really, though, brings me to a, a bigger issue that I often think about when I think about you, and that is how nerve-wracking is it to be with a live audience, whether it's small or huge, knowing – that every person's perspective matters and every tiny detail of what happens on stage must be perfectly coordinated for this to work. What is it like to deal with that?
1: It's exhausting. You know, now it's a way of life because I do it all the time. But when you're when you're new to anything, I think it's like anything, whether you're I don't know, whether you're a dancer walking on stage, whether you're an astronaut going to the moon for the first time. You know, you, you know, even astronauts who've flown planes all their lives and they've tested, you know, that first trip up is definitely a lot different than your 10th trip up, you know, and, and it's just a, something that you're trained uh, good enough for things to go right, but the real pro does well when things go wrong, and that's the real test of a professional. I, I, that goes in any field, whether you're a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a surgeon, whatever it might be uh airline pilot. And for me, that's I loved it because I have never stopped working, thank God, you know, knock on wood. But the more you work, the better you get. And when things do go wrong, they go wrong to you, but you can change them so to the audience, they don't look like it's wrong, you know. Um, from guitar players breaking a string on their guitar to magicians having a trick go wrong, you can always have an out or at least prepare yourself for something that doesn't go right, you know? And, and for me, it's a, yeah, it's, it's very inspector gadget ish in the sense that not only when I go into, anytime I do an interview, this is like one of the only interviews, uh, you know, in a long time that I haven't had to bring any tricks with me because we're obviously on the air, you know, but when I'm on TV or even a live show, I can't just come and be interviewed. It never works that way. I always got to come in with two or three tricks and stuff like that. So I can't ever just sit there and relax and just, the, you know, like what you're doing right now, asking about my life and what I've done, I always got to have something on me, you know, and um, and get ready to, to perform at a moment's notice if asked or sometimes pre-planned. So it's definitely a different mentality. It's, it's definitely two or threefold when I come in. You know, it's like Tom Cruise. When he goes on to get interviewed by Jimmy Fallon, you know, he never gets asked to recite Shakespeare. You know, he just gets asked about his life, the movie he was just in, that he filmed probably a year and a half before that, you know, and that's it. He doesn't have to play characters or do anything. He just has to be interviewed and be the star that he is. So, as a magician, um, you know, you always got to, you always have a second. There's always another agenda usually when you come in a room as a magician, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I can see why that would definitely be taxing because you know a lot of people think of me as uh, a ghost expert, but you know nobody expects yeah. me to manifest a ghost on the spot or something <laughs> like that. You know, so yeah, uh, yeah that's that's tricky. And, and plus, there's so much pressure because everybody is trying to figure out the trick. Maybe not everybody, but a lot of people are. Sure. And so, you know, and that, and that makes you even, you know, more cautious about, you know, how you're doing things. And so, you know, what do you think is the most important key uh, to being a successful magician?
1: I think know your audience. I think it's one of the most important things. You know, and a lot of this information I'm sharing with you, I think, goes for everything, whether you're a teacher, you're, you know, a speaker in your field even, you know. I think it's know your audience, know what you're dealing with, and never Blame it on an audience for a bad show. Blame it on yourself, you know, because um, certain audiences want to be there. So certain audiences don't want to be there because you've been hired by a big corporation. They don't know who they're going to see. It's just a big annual dinner or something. Or they bought tickets to see you. Well, the ones buying tickets to see you are the easiest because they're fans already. They bought a ticket to see you. It's the ones that, where you're hired to either do a festival, a fair, somewhere where the audience doesn't necessarily know what they're getting and now you got to win them over. You know, even some may know that you're famous and, and popular, some may not, you know. So that's the hardest. But I think the key is to know your audience. And, and even though you have your certain bits that you're going to share with them, um, be aware that maybe they don't want super high energy, so bring it down a notch. Or maybe they do want high energy, so go up. Or maybe they don't want to laugh. It's just not a funny group, so don't be as funny. Be more intellectual, you know. I think that's something as a professional you tweak very quickly when you walk out to a live audience because you really have to understand that I think to win them over at the end you know that's the key
0: yeah that makes sense
1: so mm-hmm.
0: given gosh i can't even imagine how much stuff that you've been exposed to uh and, and i uh, i know that these kinds of questions are difficult but what is the best magic trick you've ever seen
1: you know, probably the one of the best magic tricks I've ever seen, personally. I have to go back when I was first kind of, you know, bitten by the magic bug. I would have to say it's David Copperfield Banging the Statue of Liberty, you know. Yeah. It was so well done. And that was before CGI and before all this other stuff, you know. It's just, it was just good old television, you know. And the um, Statue of Liberty obviously is a world-renowned, you know, statue, an iconic symbol, you, everyone kind of knows where it is in the middle of the water. There's a massive city around it, and everyone can see it. And he was doing it in, as much in real time as he could. You know, he had cameras around all sides of it, which was a Polaroid cameras taking photos every 10 seconds or something or whatever he had, which was the most advanced technology he could provide right away, which was the Polaroid, you know, which ironically now, um, you know, we have digital cameras, but digital cameras aren't far off from a Polaroid. You know what I mean? Because it's pretty amazing. You hit a button, and there's your picture. It still isn't amazing. And now they're making a comeback. which is ironic. But, um, so he used that. He, has the, he used a curtain that covered the whole statue that went straight up. And then when he dropped it, it was gone. You know, there was helicopters flying through it and stuff. And when you look at that, it was pretty amazing, you know, when you when you see it done in real time. So to this day, I still think it's one of those um, tricks that, that will be timeless in, in our business.
0: Well, obviously, all professional magician's dream of someday making it to las vegas and so here we have this town full of the best magicians um do do you guys hang out with each other or like what it, what is it like to to be within this elite community of professional magicians who have a show here on the strip i mean it, 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 what's the mood like amongst all of you so to speak
1: it's exciting. I mean, some of us are friends with each other and some of us aren't. You know, some of uh, us are competitive, some aren't. You know, uh, as far as I can think of, I'm friends with them all. You know, there's a couple that, that we don't hang out, but we're cordial and stuff like that. Because I think we're, we're, to get to a Las Vegas level, you have to have your own brand, your own style, and it's not about competing anymore. Yeah, we're competing for, for tickets and we're competing for all that, but we're kind of who we are. It's the same, same as Elton John being on the strip along with Celine Dion and Rod Stewart and, and you know, a bunch of other people and Barry Manilow. Well, when people come to town, they may love all of them, but they're all going to make a choice to go see one or the other. And that's kind of it. And and you kind of put your talent on the table and then whoever wants to come see it, they buy a ticket and come see it. So it's, it's kind of a nice thing where you can sit back and you've kind of clawed your way to the top and, and now you can share it with some other people because it's, it's enjoyable. You know, I, I love, I love the business. I think it's amazing. And I see a lot of people in this business become very jaded and and all that, and I hope to never be that person because I think it's wonderful. you know every era lends a new um type of entertainment you know what I mean good, bad or indifferent.
0: What does it feel like when you're going down the Vegas Strip and you look up there and see your face on the big digital screen i mean um uh, do you just have flashbacks of your whole journey that has led you to this point, or I mean what does that feel like?
1: Well, first thing I think is go. Wow, my head's really large. Uh, but, but the second <laughs> thing is, um, I go. What are the chances? I mean, it's almost surreal because you know here I'm from a. I want to say a little city, but I'm not. Vancouver is a big city in Canada. But um, but here I'm the city guy in Canada, another country, and I'm you know you know had a dream to you know had a dream to really make it somewhere, and I pushed and and people always go, how did you? Make it happen, and I go, I'm not sure. One thing I know I, I, I am is that I have perseverance, I've never stopped reaching for the stars, as Casey Kasem would say. You know, um, I never there was never a ceiling to me. I always thought, well, why not? Why couldn't I be really good and really up there? You know, and, and now I'm here, and it is amazing when I drive by and see one day it won't be there, one day I'll be a little old man that's 80 years old and hope they will make it that no one will ever know and hear about and go, oh my God, you know, back in the day, that guy used to have a show on the strip, you know? And, and it's one of those things I think it's kind of cool you take it in and enjoy it. Uh, but I don't rest on my laurels often. You know, you take a few pictures post them on Facebook, you get, you're excited. And I'm pushing for the next thing. You know, I always am, you know, um, as, as you mentioned in the intro to this interview, you know, and I, I'm always looking for TV. I'm always looking for other opportunities, you know, and that's how, you and I came together as friends working on the project for this TV show. I think it's great. You know, i always love looking for that next thing. It's uh, what keeps me in the business.
0: Oh, yeah, it's amazing. You know, I uh, people say that I don't sleep, but no, I have to say that uh, Murray never sleeps, folks. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he's always, always, always into something. You're always on the top of your game. And and, and I know how thorough that you are um, when you examine your art and and really your science as well uh when it comes to this field called you know illusions or magical entertainment so is there at this point in your life is there still some kind of holy grail illusion that eludes you that you just don't know how it works and you'd love to know how it works
1: i can't say there is you know, and the only reason I can say that is I've been doing the business for 30 years, you know. In the first four or five years, yes, you could ask that question. And I probably have a list of them, you know. But I think at this point, it's kind of like asking a heart surgeon uh, what procedure a doctor used. And, you know, he may be fooled uh, for a second if it's a new procedure or something that someone invented. But after about five minutes of thinking about it, he goes, oh, that's right, I think he did do that. You know, because you've done it so much in so long. Now, to me, it's, you know... It's alien to me because I'm not a heart surgeon. I find that stuff fascinating, you know. Um, but to somebody who's done it for all their life, you know, they might see a procedure and go, that's interesting. How the heck did they? Oh, that's right. That's what they must have done. Just because you've done it for so long, there's only certain ways something can be done, you know. Or you've done something for so long and you've almost done it every which way, you know. So, so it's you know, it's a different place to be. But it is nice when you're watching a show, though. And there's a new magician out there, a new trick, and you do get fooled for that first 30 seconds. It's a really cool thing because all of a sudden, you know, I personally remember what it was like to be fooled by magic and why I wanted to get into it, you know.
0: I have a friend who's one of the best surgeons in the United States, and whenever you're hanging out with him socially, people can't help themselves. They have to start asking him medical questions. And he always says, oh, no, that's fine. I don't mind giving curbside service, and he hands out his advice. So I'm going to ask you for a little curbside magician service here. For if sure. somebody, yeah, If somebody's listening right now, who wants to fool their friends, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's an adult, what is a simple trick that you can recommend that will get you the most bang for your buck? So in other words, it's it's easy to do, but it's going to get the biggest wow factor. Anything come to mind?
1: Well, if you want something simple and easy, you can buy at a magic store. Um, I have an idea, and I also have something you can make at home, which is easy. So if you want a magic store, you can buy something that's called the Dove Pan, it's been around for years, the silver pan, And you show it empty, and you cover it with a lid. And when you lift the lid off, you can have whatever uh, that you could fit in that pan appear. A stuffed rabbit, you can have real food appear. I used to do a thing at Christmas time for, for Christmas shows. I'd have three kids up on stage. I'd give them one kid some flour, one kid some nuts, and one kid some, like, I don't know, raisins or something. And we have been making a holiday cake. And so I'd, I'd uh, have the empty pan, and one kid would pour the flour in, and the kid would put the, the nuts in, and then someone else put the raisins. And then I would take lighter fluid and light it all on fire <laughs> and make a joke about it, going, hey, I didn't have an oven, so I'm using this. I said, highly not recommended kids, but for now it'll work. And then I'd light it on fire, cover the lid, and when I took the lid off, there would be a Christmas cake there. And I'd give it to one of the kids to take <laughs> home, and that's yeah. it. So it's a really simple trick. It works by itself. Very easy, and if you buy it, it will work as long as you follow the instructions, and it doesn't take a lot of skill. It's more about the presentation. Now, if you want to try something fun at home, it's just a cool trick. It'll even impress yourself the first time you do it. What you do is you get a bowl of water. Get a white bowl. It's easier to see. You have a white bowl. It's not just a clear one, but white works. Fill it up with cold water, and then take your salt, uh, not your salt, but your pepper shaker, and shake the pepper all over the top of the water. So it covers with water. And then what you do is you take your finger and you make a story up. Uh, people all have all sorts of stories. That the pepper is like a big crowd um, in, in, in the middle of the uh, center of a city. And then your finger is Superman or Batman. And when it arrives, they all spread. And as soon as you touch the middle of the water, all the pepper shoots to the side of the bowl. And that's it. It's a really cool trick. And the science trick is basically what you do is you do the setup, like I just told you, bowl of water, cold water, pepper on top, What you do, though, and you don't tell people this, but you put a little bit of liquid soap on the tip of your finger or even get a hard bar of soap and rub it back and forth. So when you touch the tip of that water, as soon as you touch the tip of the water, the soap dissipates on top of the water, and it pushes the pepper all the way to the edges. And it's kind of a cool thing. So if you're bored, try that. It's a fun thing to do with your kids or family. (laughs)
0: You know, that's so interesting because I have seen that done as a science demonstration, but I've never thought of it as a magic trick. And that shows the art of what you do that you, you know, it's it's really mainly about the performance, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's um, all about the presentation, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, but OK, well, given that and again, given that you are a guy who, as I said earlier, you know, the art, you know, the science. Um, have you ever been on stage? And surprised yourself by doing something that seemed truly magical—that you think was more than just mere luck or a mere trick. Like you've gotten so in the zone that you actually do something that you're like, uh, "I don't even know how that happened," but you just play it off.
1: Um, I've had the odd time where something's fallen out of the sky—you know, like a feather or a ping pong ball from the rafters or something. You know where. At the time it happened, it would just appears, it hits the crown, and you catch it, and you make a joke you know of it and it's just it, it's a beautiful timing thing. it just happens at the right time when you're like, "Wow, I could never even get that to happen again if I tried with hiring somebody to release something at the same time. you know there's things like that um you know i've had people I've had waitresses in the middle of something after a, a comedy bit, I say something about something on stage and I've had waitresses where I have a tray of glasses and all of a sudden they get to the end of the stage to hand them out and they fall the whole damn tray goes and you're like you've <laughs> got to be kidding me you know and but but at the time I've had it happen a couple times where it hasn't been the right time but I have had it at the right time uh, but no I, not a lot you know I mean yeah once I, we had a fan stage right I believe it was blowing haze out but there was no haze going at the time but the fan was blowing so I dropped a handkerchief on the floor and when I dropped on the floor, it actually blew it all the way to stage left. And I had nothing to do with it because it was a fan blowing. But nobody could hear it or or feel the fan except me because I was on stage. So it made a really cool effect. But I couldn't really explain much because no one saw the fan. And it would just happen. So I made a joke out of it. <laughs> so so um
0: so, so what is your opinion in general on mysterious and paranormal and weird
1: stuff? I find it fascinating. I am fascinated by it. Like I watch all those different shows on TV, you know, from the ghost hunters to even forensic files. I know it's a different thing. Uh, and also just, I find it's fascinating that people see things, have things happen to them and, and, and have no explanation for them or they do have an explanation for them. And they're a hundred percent, you know, right in their world um, of what they believe. I think it's fascinating. And, you know, I'm the type of person where I don't, believe in ghosts, but I don't not believe in ghosts. You know, I'm Switzerland. I'm right in the middle of it. All. I always have been because I, I have many friends. I probably have more friends that have told me ghost stories than ones that haven't. And I'm fascinated by it because, you know, in my world, I create an illusion. That's kind of what I do. So anything that happens, I just kind of chalk it up to whatever in my head I can make it work. You know, I go out the fans, it's it's this, it's that. If power and lights go off. I go, well, nowadays, the cell towers, you never know. Whereas other people go, oh, my God, it's Uncle Harry coming back, or it's Aunt Bessie. And I go, that's phenomenal. You know, I never try to disprove it because it's their belief, and it's what they saw, and I wasn't there. So how am I to tell them it's not true? You know what I mean? So I've always taken that approach.
0: Well, as a guy who studies perspective, and, and that's really ultimately what this is all about, um, do you find that you are more suspicious than the average person uh, when people tell you things? And uh, and ultimately, I mean, do you believe in a spirit realm? I mean, what are your personal beliefs
1: when it comes to all that? Yeah, I believe, well, I believe in, you know, God and there's a higher power and all that, you know what I mean? Um, I was, you know, I was raised as a Christian, but I've also taken religion uh, with a grain of salt, you know, and not just religiously, but spiritually as well and whatever. Form that you want to take it as. I've always looked at things as faith and believing in things. You know, also there's things I can do when I ask people to choose something on a table. I could have a lighter, a book of matches, and a book, and I need them to pick the book for the trick to work. So I go, look, it's a free selection. You know, whatever you want. Point to anything you'd like. Well, with the way I'm talking and how I present it, I will make them pick the book. It's just what I do. Like it's a forced perspective. So. But but a lot of people, if I did that in Africa, they would believe I had a power. They really would believe I had a power. And yeah, I guess I do have a power, but I know what the power is, and I'm controlling it. You know, But to them, they would think, maybe I'm a witch or I'm whatever, but I'm, I'm not. I'm just using a psychological realm to try to get someone to do something that they believe that it's you know an unconscious decision or conscious decision. So that's kind of the way I look at things in that sense. You know what I mean? But yeah, I believe there's things around is a higher power. I don't have an answer for it, and and I don't want, I don't, I never speak on that I know either, because I don't know, you know, and I don't feel like I have proof enough to say that I know, you know, so that's kind of always been the way I looked at things. Uh,
0: you know, we, we could have uh, an amazing discussion just about the philosophical question of freedom versus determinism, because like you said, you know, there are tricks out there where people feel like that they have free will to make a decision, but you, as the magician, know all along that this is going to. That uh, what you know what the outcome is going to be, and yeah, and you know, I, and and so therefore, um, it does kind of make you wonder. Hey, is this whole thing called reality just a big ass magic trick? <laughs> it's, 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 we feel like we have free will, but we're actually, you know, cutting off. Well, something out there is cutting off the options, so to speak, so that you end up going into one area. It's a great question, and, and I, that's one we'll yeah. save for another day. But um, we're running short on time, so let me ask you this if you had an unlimited budget, Uh, what is the ultimate trick that you can imagine someday creating?
1: Um, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I have a lot of tricks I would like to do if I had the money, but, um, if I had the ultimate, I'm not sure what it would be, you know, um, that's a really good question. I mean, yeah, I have, I have tricks and ideas I'd love to create on stage, but I feel like the question you're asking me is a lot bigger. So, um, I mean, I would love to resurrect something. It would be kind of cool, you know, an old building or recreate the Colosseum and, and, you know, Rome to what it used to look like. You know what I mean? Like if I could have that. And what's funny is with, with uh, video mapping and imaging, you can almost do that. You know, on TV, I could almost cre- recreate that visually through a camera lens in, yeah. in real time. You know what I mean? Nowadays, we do this video mapping stuff and all that. You could actually almost recreate that at night, yeah. now, which is interesting, you know. But as a magician, we try not to use that stuff. You know, we use video mapping for like a backdrop or something that adds to a trick. But, um, but when I do tricks, you know, everything I do on my YouTube videos or live or on television, it's what you would see um, if you were in the audience. And I know a lot of magicians nowadays on TV don't do that, but everything you see is what you would see live, and and even from our experience, you and I work together, you've seen that as well, you know, that I try to recreate everything pretty much in real time. So
0: yeah, yeah, that's important, and uh, I, I wish so much that I could talk more about what we just filmed recently. But, yeah, right. Um, it's a it's a really good example of this, and hopefully people will be seeing this on television in the near future. But um, okay, so yeah. Murray, um, tell everyone everything about how to enjoy your work. So please give out your website, your social media info, your upcoming performance schedule, whatever you want. The floor is yours.
1: Well, you can always see me live here in Vegas at Planet Hollywood. I'm there 4 o'clock almost every day. You just got to check Ticketmaster. Google it. Go to my website. You'll see what I'm playing. I'm also touring. I'm doing various dates. I'm playing Atlantic City uh, in the summer for one night. I'm going to go and, uh, be in Arlington, Texas, and I'll be in Rio, Nevada. So just check my uh, tour schedule on my website. It's pretty current. Uh, the big thing that I love sharing with people now that I love is my YouTube channel, and it's under Magic Murray. We just had over half a billion views. So we surpassed that a few weeks ago. It's under Magic Murray, and we upload new videos every single Wednesday. And we do pranks, we teach tricks, a bunch of stuff. So it's kind of a fun channel, any age from 2 to 102 uh, can enjoy you know and then if you want to find me online it's always murray saw chuck or magic murray and if you google it everything will come up but I, I use my instagram a lot so if you want to see what my life's like uh, on a day-to-day basis i post a lot on instagram it's usually under murray saw chuck which is just, just as it says saw and chuck so that's kind of about me so you know it's been it's been fun chatting to you joshua
0: and, and murray saw is your real name right
1: that is my real name yeah i do spell a little differently Professionally, I spelled Esau and Chuck, uh which is, is the way I, I spelled professionally. But legally, uh, there's no C-K at the end of my name. It's just U-K because that's the way in Ukraine it's spelled, you know. But but it's too confusing for people, so I just go the way everyone spells it. Uh, everyone beat me to it, and they win. So I just changed my name to, to make it easier.
0: You're one of those rare people who was born with a stage name. It's like I'm pretty sure Clint Eastwood's real name is Clint Eastwood, and I cannot think of a better <laughs> name for that guy than Clint Eastwood. But um, It's amazing, well, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so the clock has got us, but listen, I am honored to be your friend. I am excited about our upcoming projects. You are a truly amazing and fascinating guy and I want to sincerely thank you for being on Joshua P. Warren Daily, sir.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Josh. I appreciate it, and I can't wait to keep listening to you.